the incomparable. Number 306, June 2016. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell. I am convening another edition. I'm I'm merely the teaching assistant to Professor John Syracusa. This is Anime 103, the third in our series of episodes in which John Syracusa assigns us anime to watch and comment on. Hi, John. Hi, Jason. Did you do the homework this week? I did all the homework. All of it's it. It's amazing. You assigned less of it, and therefore I did yeah, it. <laughs> we just keep lowering the bar until mm-hmm. you succeed. I That's crossed over that low way. bar. That's what I did. Joining me, as uh, in addition to being a teaching assistant, I am also a student. Joining me, my fellow students in the uh, Anime 103 class, Aline Sims. Hello. Hello. I did the homework, too, at the last minute, mm, um, yes. which is pretty pretty on par for how i do things that's that's bad. Yeah, as long as you get it done before the class uh mm-hmm. then it's that's good enough and erica ensign also uh i assume did all the homework i did i did it last night yeah see I'm look the, at that i'm once again i'm the anime teacher's pet yeah yeah all right john explain to us what did we watch and why did you choose it <laughs> so we're kind of back to the uh the original format which was multiple things by the same director or artist or you know single person vision uh, it was toned down this time to only be two, two things we were going to watch. We watched two, I guess you would call them movies, but both of them are very short, more like short films by Makoto Shinkai. Um, and I, I like to think to myself, since I've only seen a little bit of his work, that uh, he has made the same movie three times. Uh, <laughs> we only watched two of them. Uh, I picked some bookends here. The one in the middle we kind of skipped over. I think it would have been fun to include it, but I think two is more than enough to get the flavor uh, mm. and the thing is i liked this movie all three times i saw it and i think there's <laughs> interesting things to say about each one it's not really the same i just you know this like like the first uh, episode of this that we did which i think was uh satoshi kon you can see the through line you can see the artist you can see a single person's vision or idea or sensibilities coming through in all these movies and i think that's i think that's fun yeah so we watched um voices of a distant star which is short it's what 20 minutes ish and five centimeters per second which is a little over an hour long or it's basically an hour long with mm-hmm. a little over with credits but it's basically an hour long and so but what's interesting about five centimeters per second is it itself is split into three stories. So it really is sort of like we watched four short stories uh, that that are uh, kind of the, the I mean the one the ones in five centimeters per second are interlinked. Um, they are you know we follow a character through, but they're all uh, all connected. And then you know John, you nailed it. I was actually really laughing when I got to the the the. When I opened five centimeters per second in Plex and I saw the plot synopsis, I had just watched Voices of a Distant Star, mm-hmm. and I just laughed because I was like, "Oh, okay, so it's the same movie except with fewer <laughs> aliens." Got it. Yeah, Voices of a Distant Star, which which is the one we should start with, uh, is uh, I, I came to know it mostly because of its origins as this thing that one person essentially made with very little help, usually animated movies. Uh, no matter how strong the artistic vision behind it takes a team of people, because it's really hard. You got to draw lots of pictures, and then there's voice acting, and then there's music, and then there's the you know the sequence of putting it all together. 
Um, and this was a thing made, or so the legend goes, by like one person who just d- did everything. Like got got his girlfriend to do the voices, he did the other voice. Got a friend of his to do the music, he drew all the animation. He did all the very primitive early two thousands CGI on his Power Mac G four, uh, and just used a bunch of software programs that he had to essentially make a miniature movie all by his lonesome. Um, and so that's that's how I came to be attracted to it. I was like, wow, someone's using a Mac to make this anime thing. Uh, but at this point, I, I like it uh, on the merits. And some of the uh, sort of handmade, home-rolled, a single person made this qualities uh, show through in the movie. Mm-hmm. But I, I still think it's charming. Yeah, so let's start with Voices of a Distant Star since that is the earlier of these two. And um, I it, it is more traditionally anime i would say in the sense that most of and again i know i have a skewed view as an american of this as a genre but to me so much anime and and perhaps so much more in japanese culture than american culture there is a sci-fi influence um and but not not in all as we've seen uh with with uh other anime that we've seen and as we'll see with five centimeters per second actually but here we have it's your 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 classic boy meets girl um girl enters a uh robotic spaceship killing machine <laughs> and goes to various far off many light years away locations and uh fights aliens Movie. happens every day in japan typical yeah. <laughs> you know it is tale as old as time yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep it's beauty and the tarsian yeah yep. i was i was so in for this from moment one i had heard of voices of a distant star but i had i had never watched it before so it was nice to have an opportunity to do that and just from the very beginning where you get the very opening sequence where she is you know she thinks she's in the classroom and then suddenly realizes that she's alone she's talking about how the world is places that her cell phone can can reach to send a message to and then realizes she's not in this world anymore and i'm like whoa what's going on and as soon as I sort of figured out kind of where where they actually were and what was what was happening, I mean, I I admit it, I love teeny bopper drama in anime. Uh, Kimigori Orange Road is one of my favorite anime series, and that's aimed at like I don't know middle school kids, and uh, takes place in in basically in a junior high. And I adore mech stuff. Like I don't care what people say, the original three Gundam movies, they're not boring. I love them. Um, so this took kind of those two anime trope things that I love so much and jammed them together into like this this stock chock full twenty five minutes of the tropes that I like. Added you know, and then later on top you get this kind of classic sci-fi trope of the time distances between different people who are who are talking and trying to send messages from light years apart so it was kind of like it was tailor-made for one me yeah i mean the, so the story is the uh the girl whose name is i don't know noboru <laughs> is the boy does she, does she have a name Mik is it mikako is that mikako yeah um mikako. she she um boy and girl meet but uh you know she goes off and joins the uh the united nations space fleet or as it's labeled on the side of one of the buildings uh or maybe it's the train it's united nations spacey which i thought yeah. was a <laughs> phrase you will see in anime uh many times over united nations spacey uh and so she goes and she's in one of these like uh mechs uh and they are there we learn the backstory that aliens attack mars and there are the 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 Tarsian ruins where the where the aliens attacked in the Tarsus crater and um, so she is now 
out among the stars. First, she's at Pluto. She's at Mars. She's at Pluto. And then they're going to go a light year away. And then, they're, and then they end up eight light years away at Sirius. And she is sending on her little... Um, on her little cell phone that's like the old style where as you're texting it makes the, te- the touch tones and stuff and there's uh, she's which uh, is just adorable she's sending texts uh like what is it that t9 she's sending texts the japanese equivalent to back to the boy who is back there and so like erica said you get the time dilation thing it's not quite the problem uh, there the speed of light so she sends these messages and he's not going to get them for a year or eight years. But if they can go faster than the speed of light, it doesn't mean she couldn't get back faster than that. It's I, I, Sometimes in this, I felt like that maybe the story thought that she was kind of time traveling forward. But that that didn't seem to make sense to me. Although, I, I don't know, maybe that's not how this works. But I got hung up on that a little no, bit. They could, they could warp back, but the idea is they're not going to. They're, they're, not, they're never going to come back. They're either to pursue the Tarshan. She's on this mission. Yeah, they could warp back. Like, in other words, she could outrun her messages back home. Right. The whole ship could warp maybe back. So. And she'd be, hey, I'm back um, today. But that's not how it's going to go. Don't listen to that message I sent you. <laughs> Eight years from now, you're going to get half of a message. But ignore it. I'm back. You know, it's the story of it. It's like uh, like a, a message from far away, like from, from in the past when... And it would take longer for communication to happen. That's what's happening here. So, so they're separated, and now it's like you know, it's been a year, and you see mm-hmm. him a year older, and then it's been eight years, and you see him eight more years older, and that's the. But she's the sep- not. This, yeah. Exactly. She's still fifteen or whatever. It's still the, mm-hmm. uh, but it's this long distance letter writing kind of uh, kind of uh, longing for one another but it's far away and there's nothing they can do about it sadness that is uh is also i didn't know that the standard uniform for driving a mech is a schoolgirl <laughs> school uniform uh-huh. it is mm-hmm. uh, su- surprisingly versatile in japan <laughs> yes can use yep. it for many occupations thanks united so nations th- this this thing you know uh, you noted all the all the traditional anime uh, uh stereotypes and tropes that are in this you got uh you know you got the schoolgirls. you got the kids in, in middle school uh, you have young people piloting mechs. I think this one does... You get lots of shots of power lines. Yeah. Mm. This, this one does a pretty good job of mixing the two because that, that theme of story of like a bunch of kids in school and they're going to have relationships and all sorts of problems and dramas. That's that's common to many cultures, including Japan, and there's lots of stories about that. And this one intermixes the the tech story with that story as if it's two separate anime. So it's pretty much entirely devoted to the relationship thing and and you know people wondering about feelings and being distant from each other and all that stuff and just slices and dices it right in with people in space and stuff like the same way in the beginning she's she's hesitant to tell him that she's going to be going because she knows it's going to be sad and she's kind of also leaving him behind she is the the uh the smarter and more skilled of the two she's she's able to go on this mission and he's not um so the the important thing he has to tell her her you know friend slash boyfriend is that she has to go fly giant robots. But it could have just as well been say <laughs> moving to a different town, as we'll see in the next movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the same thing when she's in this whole movie, she's fighting aliens, she's she's training, uh, shooting down drones, protecting her fleet. All that is going on, and yet the narration and the scenery and everything about it is all about worrying about uh, this boy back home. And the distance between them, and like as an aside, she's shooting aliens, in yeah. giant <laughs> right. which, which I love because it it really gets at the uh, the sort of 
the, the feeling that pervades all of the all of his stuff really of like what is it like to be a kid of this age encountering these feelings for the first time and how all-consuming is it it's so all-consuming that it trumps uh everything else like being in a giant robot shooting aliens and fighting for the survival of humans across light years and everything like that that is that is almost a sideshow to the the emotional turmoil that is the the heart of the story and i love i love the juxtaposition of those things and clearly this director does too he he, he loves many things that he will come back to uh, many times things but the uh, putting everyday life against the massiveness of space and technology and aliens is is always a fun uh juxtaposition i find in anime when the uh her spaceship is about to go into space warp and go, jump a light year away um she we get the shot of her inside her mech and she's really upset because like her phone is floating in zero g and she's like oh but if i don't send my text messages before we jump then <laughs> right. then they're mm-hmm. not gonna go for a year and that's like that's the and she like is meanwhile yeah occasionally blasting enemies and getting over to the ship so that she doesn't get left behind but she's also very concerned about her text going out which is kind of adorable Mm-hmm. And and I think the the little film makes you as the the viewer also be concerned about her to getting her text out, yeah. like be, mostly because it doesn't spend a lot of time telling you all about the mission and the aliens yeah. and like that is that is not the world that our characters are are in. Right. They're just you know I mean, that's she, just she's her job into this world. <laughs> Whatever, right. it's just it's just a work, right? And, and <laughs> even barely that because she even even sure as this precocious child who has qualified to pilot these mechs for whatever reason that they always end up piloting these mechs, <laughs> she's a little bit in over her head too. Like she's all just kind of crunched up in her little pod there. We don't see lots of friends and people and superiors talking to her, or even like the other pilots and the other mechs. Their connection is entirely back home. So. We don't want her to lose that connection either. Even as we see the giant ship like crackling and warping beneath her, like I said, the ship could warp out and she would be there and stranded in space and dead or the aliens could attack and kill her and the ship. But we're really worried, or at least I am watching it. She should get that phone back. She's going to be eight years away. And you don't want it's like long distance relationship is one thing. As she said, it's kind of like airmail. And they're like, no, not airmail. 8.6 light years. Deal with that. I think that they did a really good job or the art style is really good at showing how isolating that feeling is too. like that. Um, I don't want to be say like unrequited love, but you know that I don't know, like having a crush on somebody and knowing that nothing is going to come of it is really kind of an isolating feeling like you could have contact and, you know, whatever, but really you're kind of alone in it and um i thought that the way you know the the mech kind of faded in and out um you know in in for battles and then kind of out during you know the the frantic text messaging um I thought it illustrated it really well. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I mentioned the shots of power lines, which is a thing that I have seen in a lot of different anime, I think used to for sort of different reasons and different ones. I, I kind of liked the sort of anachronistic idea that in this case, the power lines are supposed to sort of represent the communication and the fact that her messages are, are, are going along these, you know, totally different types of lines, but we keep getting reminded of, of communication by by looking at the uh, at the power lines over and over and over again. So my favorite thing in anime, as I mentioned in every one of these episodes, it's so heavily featured in this. Like most of the time, anime has one or two scenes that do the thing where they will show you some moment or mm-hmm. uh, sensation or whatever. Like uh, this one, almost the entire thing is made up of scenes like that, um, and it, it, because it's so pervasive, because it's not just like one shot that takes you like 
to a different place, a different headspace. The whole movie takes you to a different headspace, and it, it, it combines to give you an incredible sense of of place. Like, it's clear that the people who made this movie, this place that they're showing you, all these different scenes, every lingering detail on a railing, a power line, a, a set of uh, fences or barriers in a city or asphalt or, like, just... The way they're the, this this real place on Earth that they're very intimately familiar with, the camera spends a lot of time not pointing at, at people's faces or maybe not pointing at characters at all, but just showing things like I mean, we know uh, this guy likes trains that go back and forth. He likes the, the the details of the little guardrails that come up and down, the power lines everywhere, and and not just the the, the power lines of the communication lines, but that there are so many of them that this is clearly like you know '90s uh, era Japan where. Uh, the number of wires going everywhere, like the density of the population and the number of wires going everywhere is just insane. And all the nature and the nature sounds and everything like that. It's it's very unconventionally constructed. It's almost kind of like a, a Terrence Malick movie or something where you have all these lingering shots of, of uh, city machinery and nature and empty rooms with nobody in them and with just sunlight hmm. and wind blowing through them. And you're like... It, is this is this a is this a tone poem or is this actual and actually a narrative? But this movie manages, I think, to construct a narrative mostly out of scenes not involving characters, let alone characters emoting or talking. Like there's, I don't even know if he was up for the you know how, how much time how, they spend showing a character's face with emotion on it. Almost all the emotion in this movie is done mm-hmm. through what the characters see, and it, and what it reminds me mostly of is like like a memory like you live this this whole movie is like a memory because you live something it's like yeah you go through your day or whatever but when you think back oh that that summer i spent in tokyo or whatever you think back on these type of moments and this is like a memory reached backwards and came all the way back to the present and these people are living in it now even though this is how they're going to remember it later it's it's a really weird sensation it's um and it's something that animation can do can do pretty well because people are more tolerant i think of unconventional storytelling when it's animated and especially when you have robots flying around and they don't mind <laughs> that you're going to spend uh, a seven second shot showing the little heater that's in the little building for in the wintertime when it gets cold you know mm-hmm. it actually took me until the second movie before i recognized what that was because because it wasn't like doing anything and i was like huh i wonder what that is and then later i figured it out <laughs> you will you'll see it again don't worry yep. i think the uh i think this does a better job of it uh, visually than it does, you know, put anchoring you in a in a place and a feeling than it does when it comes to the actual sort of narration and info dumps and stuff. Uh, when it first started, I, I didn't mind the info dumps at the beginning, because at the very, very beginning, you've got the two kids together in in life. And it's it's this hyperactive young boy who is just jabbering on a mile a minute, which seems very, very realistic. He's talking about space and all that kind of stuff. So that's that's where you learn about that. It, it didn't strike me as, you know, well, as you know, Bob, it, it wasn't one of those because it was just the way kids talk. And then when it was messages being read out loud in between them, you know, in either one of their voices, that was fine, too, because those are the messages that they are reading and hearing in the other person's voice in their head. So that was fine. But as it got kind of towards the second half, towards the end, it was... Um, it was really most of it was just voiceover from especially the 
boy talking to himself uh, or just doing a voiceover, I guess, to tell us how he you know, made his decision to live his life in his time and how he stuck with that. But but those words were not really diegetic in any way. They weren't him reading off a message. They weren't him writing in a diary, at least at, not that we could see. So I felt like it stuck out a little bit more like a sore thumb because there was no in-story reason for it. Whereas earlier in this piece, all of the all of the words that we were getting really were were part of the fabric of what it was we were seeing. It's almost like they had a time crunch there. It's like, yep. <laughs> I need to get this thing finished at some point, you know, so. And I also wonder if it was kind of intended to be, if I could get an email to her in a timely manner, this is what it would say. Like, that's a thing that I I do all the time as I compose things that I never actually write in my head. Um, so maybe that's that can be a way to kind of hand wave it away too. Mm-hmm. It just, it very much felt like he was talking to us and not to himself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like th- that's the problem with the structure of this movie as you have these two and you pull them apart at a certain point, the distance becomes so great. that The boy is left sort of abandoned, but if you don't introduce any other characters, who does he have to, to tell this to? And there's only so much you can express through the scenery. Although I, I would argue the five centimeters per second does a much better job of, of showing the showing. I think in, by the time five centimeters per second comes along, this, same director writer and this you know like was better able to show how people are feeling without having them simply to read out like i decided to harden my heart and i wasn't gonna like you all right we can get that in other ways but in this movie you're right it just said uh straight out although i think the reason i'm mostly distracted by what is a lot of on the nose dialogue and writing in this and it's hard to tell if a lot of it's bad translation too um Mm -hmm. but it's very it's very sort of in the voice of characters this age and characters this age are silly and don't know anything so they're very <laughs> very overblown and dramatic and and so that's you know and so that that's the the dialogue but at the same time very often it's intercut with these what i think even even with the limitations of tech very beautiful poignant scenes of you know ships space warping or you know uh the wind blowing or sun setting so a lot of the time i am charmed by the visuals enough to not be bothered by the somewhat stilted right or, or to, to forgive the you know the the, the blabberings of lovesick uh teenagers because i'm like <laughs> this this animation is really nice oh that was very clever that was very well done and, and and i have to admit also just being impressed that this one guy noodling on his computer did did all this stuff mm. and um mm. it, like it, as you know there's because i know what comes after as i see the promise like as i see you know the, these ideas and this artistic sensibility uh, and this way of telling stories, plus more experience, more time, and a lot more money. Um, and I don't have to imagine what that looks like because we actually see it. But uh, but anyway, and, and I also think that the story on this one, it go, I'm going to say, does it, does it, uh, is it more complete and conventional than the other one? Anyway, this one definitely goes somewhere. Things happen. There are battles, right? Yeah. Um, but it gets but, weird at the end, which is another thing that's kind of typical of a yes, lot of the exactly. anime that I've seen. So I just rolled with it. Yeah, there's that moment where the um, there's so much here. There, there, there's that moment where the aliens kind of come onto her mech and kind of attach, and then she like blasts them away. That I couldn't decide what that meant, um, mm-hmm. and if that was an attack or an attempt to connect, or whether everything that happens after that is a dream because they've gotten into her brain or, you know, it, it just, it was like, mm-hmm. okay, that happened, which does happen to me a lot when I'm watching anime. It's like, all right, go with it, <laughs> roll with it. Um, uh-huh. But they do get, they do get to the, like when she's on the planet 
uh, in the serious system. And there's there's almost like a a moment of like she's look she's flying around and she's kind of looking at the at the at the the sky and all of that and she's feeling kind of nostalgic and it's almost like I wish I could share this with you moment that I thought was a pretty great uh, bit of visual. Or she she wishes she could be back in a convenience store and getting wet it's in true. the rain because that's like she's she's on an alien planet in a giant mech seeing things that no human has ever seen before and she just wants to to you know be down at the corner store where we had to run to get out of the rain that one time i i think if if i had a, a an issue with this story it is that um and you guys alluded to it which is um it, it the as a as an adult i look at this and think um in reality that that boy has nine years where he's gotten two text messages from her and i felt mm-hmm. like the absence of other people in his life is the part that i thought and, and i get i get the romantic aspect of this and why they wanted to keep that but she's you know she's staying 15 not only is he now nine years older than her but he's lived nine years he's presumably let's be serious here he's had other people in his life other relationships you know with with just people in general he he probably isn't like in a room by himself for 9 years and it makes that way more messy and complicated and and not the story that 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 they want to tell here uh which is this is this special relationship that will go on through time and space um but in, in a way that 5 centimeters per second doesn't do uh this movie keeps it kind of idealized well, like you know what they say Jason near far wherever you are ah right now your heart something with about a heart i think (laughs) i think they're actually telling the story they want to tell here because this this whole movie is is supposed to be about that feeling you have when you are this age that this first love is going to be the only one and as long as that's from her perspective it works for me but, no, 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 no. Like, I, yeah, I understand what you're saying that that, that it seems I'm really to the boy with that. But no, it's it's to the audience. It's trying to make yeah, the audience sure. feel that thing that they felt. And I think they get away with it mostly because, from from the boy's perspective, like all we get is when he's younger, he says, "I'm hardening my heart," and then we don't have him mooning over her for nine years. We just skip to the end essentially when he gets a text message and he's shocked. And I can imagine him living his normal life. For those nine years, doing all the things you talked about, we didn't get to see that. We weren't living that with him. We're still living her uh, upset feelings on the planet. And I can also imagine him getting that text message and being like, oh, you know, like you bury it, you push it down, you forget all about it, you live your life, and then it comes back in a second because you just, you know, it's like he by then he probably will have forgotten that he was even going to be getting these text messages or who knows where she is. And also, by the way, they show that he's kind of keeping up with the space thing because he's still kind of into that, right? Um, yeah, he's got the, the co- magazines and stuff. The moving pictures, the Harry Potter pictures. Yeah, well, and, and the cover of that magazine essentially tells you the result, tells you the result of the final battle that uh, you as the viewer have not yet seen, which I thought was clever, uh, where they tell you the other two ships were destroyed and the only one that has a chance to return is the one that she was on. Like, you, you know that, that how that's going to work out. You don't know that she's pivotally involved in it, but um, he's keeping up with that. You could say he's keeping up that because it's like he's holding a, uh, a flame for her, but he could just still be into space. He did cover a little bit because he even says in his his out loud dialogue that that he stuck to his guns and he did live his life without her. And he's got his military service that's about to start. So so, I mean, yeah. you get like tiny little hints of the fact that he has been living his life. But I, I do like the fact that the the moment that he gets his the text from her that he does happen to be alone. And we do get to experience that sort of, you know, purity of just having these two characters interacting and no nobody else. 
muddying things up. Yeah, and again, a lot of it's got to be like budget. Like drawing more people is harder. Getting more voice actors if you only have you and your girlfriend to do the voices. Like it's this is a small a small film in all the ways that things have to be small. Where and and think about it for for a short movie like this is a fairly complicated, involved, high concept type of thing here with. There's a lot of plot involving the aliens. It's not really important to the story, except as as like a a contrast to to the rest of the story. And like you said, towards the end, we have to have things progress. We have to have them go eight years away. But we can't show you like this is not an episodic thing where we get to see each of their you know adventures and, and separated by time and all that stuff. You have to you have to kind of bring this to a, a, a big finish. And the big finish is also weird because it's so widely separated by time. Because her big finish is you know not that long after the beginning of the movie and his is many many years uh, you know after all that has ended so we don't actually know what happens to her in the in eight. obviously she doesn't come back to earth because i think they would have mentioned that but she's she dead out there with the aliens is she fine and, and the tartians are totally typical anime we're not going to explain these aliens yes it's supposed to be ambiguous you don't know were they trying to be friendly are you know uh, who is the bad guy are the humans the bad guy or the alien it's totally not clear at all the, the horrors of war, the fact that she's killing because she's been trained to kill, but is, has ambiguous feelings about it, as as all young teenagers who pilot giant mechs do at some yep. point or another in their careers. Um, <laughs> so typical. That, that's all straight up the middle and exactly as expected. Um, and it, I don't know. I, 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 I feel like this is a, a lovely mixture of like fan service and known memes mixed in with other stuff that is definitely weirder than those other shows that are much more uh conventional in the in the treatment of both the 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 teenage love story and the aliens versus humans battle this week's edition of the incomparable is brought to you by like splash that's like splash one word like splash it is your one-stop app for a whole bunch of different interests movies restaurants songs books podcasts apps and more they're all rolled together in one beautiful app so instead of having a whole bunch of different apps that you're tapping from one to another and swiping and finding in folders if you're into movies restaurants books songs you might end up with a whole collection of apps in order to explore your interests like splash solves this problem by instantly linking you to all of your favorite apps and services they're all set up for you. You don't have to open all those different apps and it gets better. With a few taps, you can also explore collections of favorite movies, songs, books, and apps. Collections created by your friends or other users who share your interests. Like Splash also offers another interesting feature. Remember how you just forget all about a TV show or a movie your friend recommended or maybe it's an awesome new restaurant that just opened up? It can happen a lot. Like Splash lets you bookmark those movies, songs, books, and apps, anything you fancy. It's organized into categories and once again instantly connected to your favorite app and services. It's like a very super version of bookmarking. So check it out. Life Splash is on the App Store. You can click the link in the show notes or go to bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash get like splash. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash G-E-T-L-I-K-E-S-P-L-A-S-H. Thank you, Like Splash, one app for all your interests for sponsoring the incomparable. Well, let's move on to five centimeters per second, which we're told at the very beginning is apparently the speed at which cherry blossoms fall. Aw. Is that actually true? <laughs> Did Please anybody look check. that up? Don't fact check that. I don't want to know, but that's <laughs> what poetic, they say. It's poetic license. That's why they. That's why it's apparently called that. Uh, this is going to be the uh, story of Tono, who we meet here uh, in part one. So three parts in this story. Part one is called Cherry Blossom. We learn that the cherry blossoms falling are apparently at five centimeters per second because that's totally the title of the movie. Uh, and we meet Tono and his friend Akari. And yes, indeed, this is a film that has a very similar plot to uh, The Voices of a Distant Star 
except way fewer aliens and space mechs. But the uh, the boy and girl who meet and become fast friends early on in school and then are separated just as they're reaching adolescence is absolutely the same story here, except here <laughs> it's just she moves away and then and then I think he moves away. Or he moves away and then she moves away. And so they're separated by distance and then they're separated by even further distance later on. And, uh, and so it's told in these, in, in these three segments. And in the, pro- the thing that I found most impressive or, or most important in the Cherry Blossom segment is we spend a whole lot of time with, with, uh, with Tono on a train going mm-hmm. to see her. It's been a year since they said goodbye. And, uh, and, uh, he wants to go see her and he has to take uh, a train to another train to another train to another train and there's snow and there are delays and, and the, the movie takes, and it's only an hour long, but we take a long time to experience the nervousness of not just of seeing her for the first time in a year, but the, and, and obviously he's had a lot of time to think about her because they were, they were friends before, but, um, they've been sending letters and, and he's been thinking about it a lot. And now he's super nervous about the whole thing and stressed about the trip and there are snow and there are delays. And he keeps looking at his watch because he's supposed to be there at seven. Um, and it gets later he's and later the letter and later. He wrote her expressing his, his uh, passionate love for her. He's carrying that with him too. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. And and so that that's the thing that sticks with me from this part. Uh, is that is that time? It's not all on the train. Um, and we we see. I should say because it's important later that opening scene. They are crossing train tracks, and the cherry blossoms are coming down. That's also paired with the last shot of the movie that comes much, you know, comes at the end when it's much later in their lives. But um, I I. That train stuff is going to stick with me for a very long time. The thing that blew me away about this film in general and this segment in particular is the almost, you know, photorealism or hyperrealism of the scenery. There are light effects. There's reflections on desks. There's re- there's reflections and, and um, on uh, glass. There's rain dripping down that was super realistic because that, that obviously is computer-aided stuff. Um, there's a flickering fluorescent light on the train at one point, which just blew me away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's beautiful. And yet it still feels like anime because the characters are all like anime looking, uh, you know, looking like they're cell drawn. They behave like traditional anime, but they are in this world that is beautiful. And like I said, I wrote down photorealistic and then I changed it to kind of hyper realistic because yeah, it's, it's beyond it, it, it's not it, it doesn't always look real but it looks like more uh there's some message like boards with the information about where the trains are coming that it's like i would love real message boards to look like that they don't well they do it they do in japan maybe they do <laughs> these are super like impressive it's just amazing like said, it, lo- it looks like a memory everything here looks it like does. a memory because it, it glows and 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 but we didn't mention this about the first one but it's it's so clear that everyone involved in making this uh is obsessively dedicated to the details like oh, yeah. the first one with the 90 cell phones those screens on the 90 cell phones like so mm-hmm. so dedicated to making realistic looking screens yeah. that may or may not be exact copies of actual products and on all <laughs> these like it's the same thing that was attempted in voices of a different star they're not exact because there's a mac in this movie and there's no apple menu there's just all the other menus so it's not yeah, exact. But it's, it's pretty it's pretty obsessive the, it's pretty the, the mac it's kind of it's kind of like one in perfect blue uh you know the, the details yes. are are like the keyboard like the, they sat down and, yeah. and they had the actual things and drew them but 
all the stuff about this, all, all the different places. I think the Wikipedia page has some shots from Voices of a Distant Star that shows the actual places and then the animation. So it's almost as if it's rotoscope. But just every setting, scene, gadget in this is so... Like, they spend so many shots showing pens and pencils and maps and lots and lots... Again, lots and lots of shots of things. Things and places and scenery and nature and the sound of bugs in the summertime and the hot sun and every little item in the room or the convenience store or wherever, you know, the school and and the desks and the erasers and and all your notes and your mechanical pencil. I love that stuff because, like I said, normally anime movies just have a couple of scenes of that. And this is an entire movie of it combined with, like you said, the hyper real the world they're in it almost looks like an alien planet at certain points it's like a dream sequence so it is kind of an alien planet but even the regular planets look like does did the sky and the clouds ever look like that like they did when you were in love and 11 i guess all right <laughs> and so this the whole movie is is viewed through uh through that lens and it is it is amazing looking and i really feel like voices of the distant star was trying to do this but the talent and money and time were not yet there and here was it like six or seven years later um is a you know sort of a, a realization of the same vision only cranked up to 11. Yeah, I I watched Voices of a Distant Star and, and then followed it immediately with this. So at the very beginning of this, um I I I was a little bit bored uh because I just felt like the uh the beginning of the cherry blossom part seemed kind of interminable. Uh-huh. We had all of those letters from Akari and it was really just mostly from her and mm-hmm. I didn't feel connected to her as a character at all. So I was kind of like, "Oh boy, what am I in for for a whole hour of this?" because I knew it was longer. And then when it switched over to Tono's train journey, everything changed. That was that was when I bought in for the same reasons Jason said, like everything was was real around it. I was like I could relate to that tension. I found myself just like, you know, my my shoulders kind of creeping up to around my ears going on a journey like that, you know, being nervous about it in the first place and then having it be delayed and interrupted and the frustration that that brings. And, you know, John, you always mention the the tiny beautiful moments that that you love and you're right. This one was was completely full of them, but two of my favorites were during the train journey um i think maybe my favorite moment of the whole thing was when he's on the train and it's well before any of the delays start happening it's still just the nervousness of setting out to see her and he reaches into his pocket for his itinerary like he's going to pull it out for like the hundredth time Uh and look at it again and then he realizes he doesn't need to look at it again he's seen it enough times he's just doing it out of nervous habit so he doesn't even pull it all the way out he sort of tucks it back in and restrains himself and i i have done that i have been there that moment was just it was just pure gold and then shortly after once it's it's snowing there's this great shot of a close-up of the inside of a train window where you've got you know the the moisture has cooled on the inside of the window and just around the edges you get like ice where it's just iced up uh just around the the window pane and there's no people in it you just see a tiny bit of outside and mostly it's just ice around the inside of a window and it just it it cut through to the heart of me it was great and the details a lot of these uh, shots like that that are extreme close-ups with detail not only is the stuff you're supposed to look at incredibly uh, interesting and detailed but there are often like labels or even like on glass Mm -hmm. labels that are on the outside so they're labels that are stuck on backward from our perspective Mm -hmm. they're everywhere it's fascinating it's just yeah all of that and like like i said the flickering fluorescent light killed me i also was interested by the scene where he um he at one point he's very tired and he takes his watch off and sets it on the table next to him. But, but that's after he's like, "That's it, forget it." You just, I yep. can't keep looking at this watch. You're I gotta gonna forget it down. your watch he's... if you leave it in the train. I did that Don't too. do that. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Those details, like I, there were so many 
almost real life logos. You know, like they changed a letter or they changed like Starbucks. McFonald's. They changed a letter or a little detail in the logo to make it just slightly different. Um, and I really, really enjoyed that. And the beginning of it, I think, Erica, I felt kind of part of what you were feeling, too, where I was like, is this going to be an hour of her talking to him in letters? And we just kind of see what he's doing. And I think that kind of once I realized that wasn't going to be the entire thing, I felt a lot better about it because I was like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, like a teenage girl pining after a boy is, you know, I, I've done that. <laughs> like, this is something <laughs> I've experienced. Um, so I don't know that I necessarily want to relive that. And once they got into, you know, actually telling the story of the journey and um, kind of interlacing their background um, and their relationship, uh, I felt a lot better about it. Yeah, actually, the one point where I did finally sort of not completely buy into uh, Akari as a character, but when he gets to the station and, you know, he's he's just so tense and he's been waiting all this time. And then you find out that she has, too. She's just been sitting there all by herself waiting for him to show up. And he gets there and he walks up to her. And when she realizes he's finally there, it's like she can't quite believe it. She just all she can do is clutch his coat and cry mm. like that moment totally resonated because you yep. know, you're just so overcome with emotion. You have no real way to let it out. And she is not quite comfortable enough with him in person to embrace him or even look up and meet his eyes. Yeah. She's so worn thin by all this waiting. All she can do is just cling to the hem of his coat and cry onto her shoes. And oh, my God, I broke down at that point i just lost it he's four hours late for the record he was supposed to be there at seven it's about eleven fifteen when he yeah, arrives if you're a person who likes to be on time don't watch this movie no yeah it's because, really like stressful. in addition to all the emotional turmoil like like that that i get i feel the same way about the, the the train being late scene like they just do everything right in that from like i said from the from the showing showing things that you know you know the people who made this movie had to have ridden trains during mm-hmm. the winter Right, you know, oh, like, sure. was, like, and and it makes you when you recognize something like that. It's like I've ridden trains limited too, and I've also seen that frost, and I've also been on that train with the flicking, flickering fluorescent light, and with a bunch of strangers, or maybe I'm alone in the car, and that feeling like that makes you believe all the other things they show. Like, well, I've never been in a weird convenience store in Japan where they have these little drinks that are in boxes that have cows in them or whatever. Dairy um, coffee. Yeah. Dairy right. coffee, yeah. But, but I totally buy that as that must be just as real as, as the other things I saw. They, they show the train from the outside sitting still in the tracks. Who hasn't been in a train that's like, why are we not moving? Yep. Like, you're, especially mm-hmm. now you're in the snow, you're in the middle of nowhere, in the dark. The train has lights. It has lights on the inside. It's shining lights on the outside. Everyone in the car is silent and the train is not moving. And how long are you going to sit there? Um, and all the while you're thinking just like, how late am I? Like, when that time passes, when he's supposed to have been there. Is she going to wait like, for not me? even is she halfway gonna, through his journey. Yeah. yeah. Is she waiting? And at a certain point, he's like, please, just please don't even not. wait. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He's surprised when he sees her. Yeah. I, th- this pushed all the buttons. I'm somebody who likes to be on time. I've been on stressful journeys like this, trains and planes and things like that. I I flew from California to Michigan to uh, see my girlfriend in high school. And it was exactly like this. Exactly. Like the stress of the whole thing with the anticipation and then and then you know to be late like this then he's got a whole other layer of feelings that are like disemboweling the anticipation feelings and it was just kind of amazing but they do settle down i have to say when they get to um they get to they get to this point and and uh they calm down a little bit and they they haven't shut down they do they do shut down the station but at this point they haven't quite yet well she she brought food That's she brought key. food so they he eats snacks. what he eats what appears to be a uh, a puffball 
of some sort, but he's very hungry, so he eats it. I think it's rice. Yeah, you got rice balls. You got some little octopus or squid in there. Like mm-hmm. you got the, the the fascination for for Japanese people that probably looks at like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich would to us, but to us it's all exotic. Mm-hmm. Oh, look at the cute little it, food there. It looks sort of like boxes. a dog toy or <laughs> something like that. It was very large <laughs> and fluffy. Oh, you mentioned that that he lost his letter halfway through this journey too. As he right. as, as the journey gets worse and worse, the, the letter the wind blows the letter out of his hand. He's just you know he's he's a broken person, and he totally doesn't expect to see her. He's like walking into defeat to say, "I I am so late. I'm just going to go in there." I don't even know what his plan was, but he didn't expect to see her there. And and there she is. And then you've got, this is where you've got the little heating stove with the 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 pan of water on top of it, acting as like a humidifier for the room. They got me because they, there's the scene at the beginning right where she feeds him she's like oh it's probably not very good we get the impression that maybe it's the first time she's tried to put a meal together or at least you know for someone special and then at the end we you know when we get back to her they're like uh saying something about her fiance and you know make sure you cook for him and i was like oh did they get back together and no mm-hmm. no because i thought that they were they were hearkening back to that early arduous journey but yeah this is because they don't spend a lot of time showing you characters faces or any part of the characters at all they spend most of the time looking at objects and scenery Mm -hmm. uh it's difficult the last sequence of this movie is difficult Mm -hmm. to track on first viewing of who the characters involved are because they don't name them and the characters don't have conversations face to face with each other but uh yeah that's why this and the other one repeated viewings help just to keep track of the plot and i think that's that's kind of the fault of the movie to not, for not being more clear because you really have to establish things like that before you can play off of them, um, which is kind of a shame. But it's also, unfortunately, a, a something that's typical of anime where they're not mm-hmm. going to spend a lot of time identifying characters and people are going to tend to look the same, especially in this where half the time they don't even draw the characters' faces. They're just an empty blank yeah. uh, head, head with hair on them because that's right. not mm-hmm. what you're supposed to be looking at. Or they will play off that where they will not draw the face and then all of a sudden draw the face with eyes and it's like, you know, the, the face comes into being. But yeah, most <laughs> of the time, most of the time we're looking at snow and trees and listening to insects uh, murmur and light reflect off little metal things, which is fine with me. So they get, uh, they, they are shoot out of the station. The station's going to close down, no more trains. And they go to uh, like a shed in a field. <laughs> yep. Well, first first they have their kiss under the tree, the, the tree. cherry blossom tree. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, that got me too. I, I got a little weepy at that moment as well. I always watch anime and wonder where the parents are. Mm. Like, aren't your parents worried about you? Yeah, I, I kind of get the feeling. Like, so his his trip, he spent a lot of time also, like, planning his trip. You saw all his little diagrams and, and her little diagrams, like, where he's going to be and when. He's got this uh, planned out. And he said it was the first time going to this big train station by himself. So I feel like he's of the age where he's allowed to go on this long trip and his parents understand that he's doing this. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's a, a more permissive uh, culture to allow your 12-year-old to travel across the country to see his... Uh, his friend from way back, but I mm. I don't get the feeling that they're disobeying their parents. I get the feeling that they're right. they're allowed to do this. Mm-hmm. It was the '90s, you know. Yeah. Everything, anything flew in the <laughs> '90s. Although, although it's also key that this happens before cell phones become pervasive, because otherwise she just would have called called, you know, and said, "Oh, I'm going to be right. a little bit late. Oh, you should go home or whatever." Yeah. They have they have no connection because this is just before everyone had cell. Phones. I had I had those moments in this where it was just like, "Oh, if only they could call and say," but <laughs> yeah. no, you can't. Um, I also he goes back the next morning, so I I also had that thought of like. 
was this his grand plan was like, well, look, I can just take the train and it'll take a while, but I can go out there and then we can see each other and then I'll just come back in the morning and it'll be like, you know, he's moving. I think he's moving like the next day. Oh, like he's, so he's go just left and... it to the last minute. Maybe so. Um, yeah. but, but they spend time together under the blanket and they are talk. They talk all night, which I thought was adorable because I guess they're they're young enough that. I don't know. You 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 go all that way uh, to and and the boyfriend and girlfriend essentially they kiss and then they go to a shack. <laughs> uh-huh. But they they talk and they, they talk, talk all yeah. night. Well, the high from that first kiss can carry you through the rest of the whole night. It's not like they you know they don't that they don't need anything else. They're, it's going to take all night for them to come down from the kiss. And so just snuggling in the blanket. I thought that was appropriate for the mm-hmm. age. And although I'm not quite sure how they didn't die from exposure, but apparently yeah. it's a very warm blanket. Yeah, and and the shack <laughs> is super insulated. So they say goodbye, and he goes off on the on the on the train in the morning. Um, and I, before we get to the the other segments, I wanted to say the last. So he has a voiceover here where he talks about sort of his regret at saying goodbye to her and knowing that he's going to move away, and so they're going to be even further away from each other than they are already. Um, and he uh, one of the things he says, like the last thing he basically says, is I wanted to protect her. Um, and I, I wrote this down with a large WTF next to it because <laughs> I didn't like this line at all because of what it, what it represents. It is a it that is the best thing you can think when you're leaving her is what you want to be as her protector and save her from the world. That is just uh, yeah, that made me angry because that is kind of uh, stupid and sexist and awful. So I was yeah. it, it took me yeah. out of it. I had the same feeling, but actually having that feeling sort of helped me buy into the next section because <laughs> I cared about him less at that point. <laughs> well, so like we there's two there's multiple levels of this. One is that Japan is you know really not really lagging, I would say, behind most of the rest of the world in terms of their view of women's role in society. Uh, and that is reflected in the art that they produce. So that's definitely one angle on it. Second angle is that 12-year-old boys growing up in that culture are very susceptible to it. And I bet that is what he would be thinking at if this boy, this time, and this place. But it does not make him a sympathetic character from an adult perspective. Best you can do is understand, I remember when I was young, a, a young and stupid boy who had seen too many stories that put the wrong ideas into his head about the relationship between men and women. But I... I for me, it comes off as if the artists in the movie think that is the deepest and most passionate and important feeling you can have uh, about a woman yeah. and mm-hmm. not playing it as if this boy doesn't is dumb and doesn't know the ways of the world yet. Because that is so typical way of thinking of that, which is it's the man's job to protect her. And it's like he wasn't, I want to spend time with her. I want to, you know, I want to help her. I want to be her friend and 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 you know be with her. It was I want to protect her. That was his it's role. Po- it's possessiveness. Yeah. Possessiveness. Exactly. Right. And and I'm you know it's difficult to walk that line because I really feel like in, in any no matter how enlightened the age, I think that is a feeling that boys have right at that age, especially when they have these feelings they don't quite understand. This sort of protective possessive feeling, um, but you're supposed to grow out of it. And, and the movie the movie did not. The movie didn't give a perspective on that, didn't give an adult perspective on it, just let us soak in the boys' perspective on it. And it definitely seemed like we were supposed to find that as profound and uh, and make us co- draw closer to, to the main character yeah. instead of farther away. So story two is called Cosmonaut, but there will be no space robots, I assure you, in story two, <laughs> Cosmonaut. You don't know what was on that rocket. <laughs> Earlier, we see, it, we see uh, 
a shot of uh, birds in the sky. We get more birds in the sky here. This is a recurring motif in this, which I which I liked. And also these spectacular uh, the sky at night is full of spectacular space things that you can't actually see in the sky at night. And that's another stylistic thing about this movie that I thought was nice and also harkened back to the short that we watched. Um, Tono is older. Um, he has a, uh, uh, there's a girl who is crushing on him named Sumida. Um, she, the, they, uh, they are on a Southern Island in Japan. So this is what, how, so his, uh, so, so Akari moved to the North to where it's very wintry. Um, and then Tono moves to the South to a, a Southern Island in Japan where it's more tropical weather and there's a space launch facility. So we see a rocket or spaceship basically towed across the train tracks. Uh, it very specifically says it's being towed at five kilometers an hour, not to be confused with five centimeters per second, but I noticed that <laughs> we did another rate yep. of speed with a five. Um, Sumida is interesting. She's totally crushing on him. Uh, they, uh, they ride their scooters around. Uh, she is a surfer because this is a this is a tropical ocean community. Uh, so there's some stuff where she's surfing, which is cool. He, meanwhile, she's surfing. What is Tono doing? He's writing messages on his phone to nobody and then deleting them. That's what he does <laughs> yeah. for laughs. He's shooting arrows, too. And that was interesting, too, because, you know, at the beginning, I completely thought that he was still emailing um, Akai and th- that they still had this thing going on. And, you know, Akari is the reason that that I had to feel bad for poor little Kane Sumida. Um, but no, nope, he's not he's not hanging with her anymore, even in cyberspace. He's just writing messages to himself. Yeah, and deleting them. She's so central yeah. to this story, even though our our supposed main character in the first story is still here. The story is all about the girl and how she's not just dealing with her feelings for him, although that is just like she's growing up. She's trying to figure out. They have the whole uh, subplot with the career counseling and her sister, and I don't know Surfing. if her sister's supposed to be a cautionary tale Surfing. of like what could happen if you don't get your life together, and her just deciding what kind of person she's going to be. I really like with her all the scenes of her dealing with surfing she doesn't like fill, fill out her her job form of like where she wants to go or what she wants to be she won't take it which is funny she's like the last student i thought that she talks to her guidance counselor about it but she does surf <laughs> yeah, i really she... like i really liked her i thought that that she was a really interesting character and and as Tarika's point i was not in a position to really like tono at this point so i really did like her and i, I identified with her kind of hopelessly crushing on him yeah that's why i actually i loved this second story probably as much as the as the first part because it just I think maybe it hit home for me even more than the first one because as a youngster I had so many deep passionate unrequited crushes and um, I think I think I feel like I had way more experience with unrequited love than I did with any actual like puppy love relationships hell yes oh yeah so this really worked for me and I felt like it it ended so accurately um, because, you know, she's she's crushing on him for this whole time. And eventually she, you know, as she sort of comes to the end of this phase in her life and grows up a little bit and learns to surf, she realizes that he has he's never even really looked at her. And, and you know, it, she just needs to, to kind of give up on it. And I remember that. I remember there's just there's a moment where you come to the realization that you don't need to talk to that boy anymore. You, you don't need to have a friend talk to him for you. You don't need to pass him a note or have, you know, somebody else tell you that that he's he's not 
he's not into you. There's there's this painful and, and maybe somehow exquisite moment when you realize that he's just never going to love you and he'll, he'll never even yeah. really look at you. And and that doesn't mean that you stop loving him and, and crushing on him, but it means you stop trying and then you grieve because there's nothing else to do. And that shot of her just curled up on her mattress was I just forever. Oh <laughs> up in there, sister, up in there. <laughs> I think the nicest part of this also is even even though we're not that into Tono from the end of the last one, um, that he's nice to her. He's unfailingly nice. He is, to he her. is like, yeah. and he is he's not like he's not toying with her. He's not he's not mean to her. And that's like, oh, I love him. He's such a bad boy. He's mean. Like he's not obsessed with other girls. He is just in his own in his own slightly particular not particularly healthy world. It's again, sending texts to himself or emails to himself. Mm-hmm. But he's he's always nice and he and you get the feeling that he realizes that she's eventually he, he catches her like waiting up for him after like archery practice or whatever. He knows she's doing it, but it's like it's it's he's not he's not going home and thinking about her or the fact right. that she was there or anything like that. He's not gonna make the move. He he like when he sees her crying, he says, you know, what's wrong? And she says, No, no. But he's not gonna he's not gonna take it any further, right? He's not gonna say, Oh, I know what this is about. It's just he's never gonna do that. I, I in speaking of the the way that this is uh this crush is portrayed and actually a thing that I really like. There are a couple of scenes in here. Uh, one where they're riding on their scooters and she gets to her house and, and parks her scooter and then he drives off. Uh, she's got a uh, she's got a dog. She's got like a little puppy, which is adorable too. And um, But what I really like is that then he rides off because he's further down the road. So he rides off and she stands there waving at him long after he is not like looking at her or anything, but she keeps waving. And I thought that was adorable because that is like, she's really into him and he's just zooming off. But she's like, no, I'm going to keep waving. If I, if I was a dog, my tail would be wagging. And then two minutes later, she's waving to him next mm-hmm. to her as her dog with her, her wagging tail. And, yeah. little, and, little and, and then there's the cute. scene where her scooter breaks and he says, no, will walk um and they walk and then uh he leaves her he leaves her there and the dog comes out and he just walks down the road again and again she's waving goodbye goodbye as he uh as he walks down the road because he's that's that that's their relationship right there mm-hmm. you mentioned the fact that he's he's always unfailingly nice to her <clears throat> which is true but in a way it almost makes it a little bit worse I mean, oh, the scene where she, breaks, she says it's why do you like, have to be yeah, so nice exactly. to me it's torture <laughs> Please, please stop. It would be easier if you were like mean to me or you or I saw that you were an unkind person. You know, if you're un- uh, it's a lot easier mm-hmm. when your crush is revealed to be a jerk to other people. And you're like, yeah. you know what? I'm not crushing on you anymore. But if, but if your crush is like quiet and seems a little sad and is unfailingly nice to you, that does not help you no. deal with your crush at all. Or if he even just stopped like, you know, riding home with her. <laughs> just oh. Yeah. Yeah, on, exactly. Kid. Now, I, the part the parts that I, I really that really resonated with me is uh so she's, they do all these things together. She waits for him after school. They they go home from school together. Her scooter breaks down. He tries to fix it. Uh, they ride home in the rain. She sees that his scooter is stopped on the side of the road and he's on top of a hill. And so she goes up on the hill too to sit down with him. The kind of things that, you know, she's obviously trying to be where he is and do the things that he does during this time. She's, you know, crushing on him and, and thinking about him and all upset. But all of those scenes again with the, the backgrounds and the nature and everything, in retrospect, and again, this is why this seems like a memory, even though you'll remember doing those things, you know, I was there because he was there. I, I, I you know, we had this experience together and the reason, whole reason I was staying there is because I wanted to walk home with him or whatever. Going on all around you is this this natural beauty that's sort of magnified by your, you know, your your emotions and young hormones and everything. That when you look back on it, 
it's not so important that the whole time you were there, you were crushing this person. It's like, it's like you were soaking in this, this beautiful scenery and the wind and the grass. And just I don't know, like for me, I remember a lot of the settings when these, where these emotions were, whereas the, the emotions and the sort of the, the details of the people and the situations fade, but I can put myself right back in that spot sitting there. Like when something dramatic was happening in your world and in your mind, and you don't know what was happening in the other person's mind, or maybe nothing was happening there. But for you, it was really important that you were sitting on this hill as the sun went down, uh, you know, watching the, the birds fly through the sky while you were thinking this thing and you were just sitting there quietly and nothing was actually happening. And I think this movie does a really good job of evoking, evoking that the fact that Everything is so heightened when you're in the situation when all you're actually doing is walking from place to place, uh, not even talking or sitting on a hill or just, you know, uh, eventually later with the big climax uh, when something big is about to happen and a rocket takes off in the background, which is yeah. an appropriate thing that there would be entirely like a rocket might as well have taken off in the background for all like you spend like the entire year or two years or three years walking home with this person and things are going to finally come to a head. And that's the sort of externality of of uh of what's going on inside i just this section i think this is my the, the train sequence is something special i think um but this section is the most sort of this middle section is the most evocative for me mm -hmm. of uh sort of what it's like to be in that stew especially since it comes to mm -hmm. a like i said a, a, a fairly satisfying end where it ends in a realistic way and uh, and it's heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In my head canon, I <laughs> like to think that, that he has moments, you know, when we're not seeing him here, that he has moments where, you know, because he's always in his head so much that he thinks about her and, and wishes that he could could feel the same way about her that he felt about Akari. And he, he just can't quite get to that same level of, you know, those those heights of emotion and therefore doesn't even really give it a chance when she's around because he feels like that's what he's shooting for is you know that 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 same feeling which he just doesn't have so he's just kind of lost in his own thoughts when when she's around because she just just doesn't quite quite do it for him this resonates for me because i was that girl like mm -hmm. i i the crushes that like i didn't have a boyfriend in high school i didn't have like like all of the stuff that seems to be very similar to her i mean that was that was really me and even like the the in her internal monologue about like if i was a puppy and and then she's like why are you so weird i'm so weird why am i weird and that's still like me now you know <laughs> i'm like why why do i have to be so weird and so i mean even even now aline that resonates a lot <laughs> a lot I like that there are more characters in this section. Like, she's got a family. She's got a big sister. She's got a mom. She's got right. a dog. We don't really see his family. But I, I feel like her world is more fleshed out. Her friends, yeah, she talks, and they all they all know who her crush is, right? And they, mm -hmm. they discuss things, and it's just, you know, like, it, you get the more feeling of, like, a school year or two is taking place, and, like, that they there's a little society in the school, and they have their own circles, and you still get definitely get a feeling that that what's his name tono i keep forgetting how to pronounce his mm -hmm. name that or takaki yeah his his head he's he's not dealing well with this transition to adulthood as we'll see in, in the final section that he you know he he goes off in a pretty bad direction here he's he can't get over akari and he's not he's not moving on with his life in a particularly healthy way whereas she we feel like is going through she's she seems like she's a little bit younger and she's going through all kind of the same things you go through at that age but uh, you know, as as shown through her, I, I think the surfing is sort of like you know showing her 
her development in this where she's thro- sort of she had caught waves before and then she was sort of thrown off kilter by what, it, what we imagined to be her first crush and like puberty and all that and she can't it's like the broomstick all over again she can't get up on back <laughs> on the surfboard by the end of it from kiki that is mm-hmm. by the end of it she gets up on the surfboard again it's like she's coming out of it like she just still doesn't quite know what she's going to do with her life but she feels encouraged by the fact that she's she's getting a handle on this as these were some very strong feelings these are some very difficult situations but she's growing we feel like she's going to be okay right that's that's what we're left with coming out of the segment that she is crushed but that being crushed is something that we all have to go through at least once <laughs> and it seems like this is this is going to be the end of the world but really we we feel like she's got a good head on her shoulders a good support system and she will she will do well even if nobody else does yeah <laughs> Uh, when she realizes that uh, he's not that that he's not for her, what she says is, "He's always looking past me at something far beyond." It's like, oh, that mm-hmm. Tono, he's always thinking about something else. He's uh, disconnected from the world a little bit. We move ahead into story number three, five centimeters per second. Uh, Tono is now an adult. Akari, sort of. Well, I mean, he, he, he's grown up. He's bigger. He's large. He's he's adult age. He's aged. He is aged. He's aged yes, uh, into a uh, what what appears to be an adult shape. Uh, Akari, <laughs> his friend from Cherry Blossom, is getting married. As we learn in dialogue, where she's talking about that she's getting married and she's saying about her parents and they'll see you at the wedding and all this stuff, um, and including uh, and then there's a lot of voiceover here, um, including. Uh, an interesting line, which was, I doubt our hearts got closer by a centimeter that I wrote down. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, more themes are happening. Um, but uh, but Tono is in bad shape. Uh, he says, I've wanted to move on, but uh, you know, grasp something out of my reach. My heart was withering, he says at one point, at which point I wrote down, he has been crushed by the man. He goes into work. He's at a computer. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like a good job. He's like writing software on a big fancy Mac. He's got a cinema display. How yeah. can he really be that unhappy? But, he's, but he, his heart is withered, John. He, well, and he goes, you know how he could be unhappy? Because when he goes to the, uh, the magazine shop, to the newsstand, the magazine that's in front of him is for Windows Vasta. Which was a very poor, <laughs> very poor edition of Windows. Windows Vasta. It was disliked by most Windows users. Yeah, well, we see him. He lives in an apartment by himself, and it's like yeah. one of those sad, small, dark Japanese apartments. And he's got he's got all his possessions shoved into this one tiny room, yep. and he's got his big Trash computer everywhere. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and he's like, totally batching it. We, yeah. Again, we we see him mostly standing silently, not looking at other people with his head down. We don't see him talking and hanging out with coworkers. We see him having to get dressed up with a tie. That's the horror scene. Yeah. He has to wear a tie. Yeah. Oh no, your life has gone terribly wrong. <laughs> He's smoking on his balcony by himself. Yeah, his heart withered. It happened. And, and I think and I think this is a like this this happens. This is a depiction we've seen in a lot of movies where you know you. You leave your high school or college behind where you have a built-in social group. If you haven't sort of paired up or come with a stable group of friends or go off afar from everybody else and get a job, just the grind of, like, got to get an apartment, got to get my food, got to clean my clothes, got to go to my job, got to come home. If you don't make an effort to meet and find and see other people, you will find yourself. And if you're a certain kind of person, you will find yourself living alone, going to work, coming home, and just slowly sinking into yourself. And yeah. I think the thing they don't make clear here is that he has had, this is after the termination of a three-year relationship with another girl who is not Akari and who is not the surfer girl. Right. Um, who we barely see because they're no longer in a relationship. But she's she's the one who drops the little email bomb on him about the, you know, we, we, sit, we send all these emails back and forth, but it doesn't feel like we got any closer because, you know, he's obviously still completely closed off and that wasn't going to work out. But even that, which was probably the one person he talked to and confided in, even that is over. So he's he's going downhill. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a bad bad scene. He uh we get the I'm dreaming of being thirteen and in a field with snow. Someday we watch the cherry blossoms again and we discover there's sort of these two voiceovers that are happening. Um at this point in their lives, both of the characters are sort of thinking back to those moments from when they were young and together and in that field of snow and on that trip and back at school and all of those things. Um that that is going on here. And uh, at the very beginning of this, we get a glimpse of of what it turns out is the two of them uh, kind of crossing paths with one one another as they're crossing over the train tracks. It's the same train tracks that we saw at the very beginning with the with the the cherry blossoms falling. That will come back. Uh, that will be replayed again at the very end in the last shot of the film. Um, however. As we get this, and this is a short, fairly short segment, as we get this, we get the sense of sort of like, uh, it's not necessarily regret, uh, maybe it's tinged with that, but it's also just like this reminiscence and nostalgia for this this time in their lives that has passed, and uh, she's going to move on with her life and get married, and he's having difficulty in his life. Um, but you know what would be good right about now? A song montage. Yeah. No, I disagree. I disagree wholeheartedly. Unfortunately, we get one that is not. It is a bombastic uh, song and a montage of things that we've already seen in this movie that's only 60 minutes long. Well, they do add. It's not all repeats of scenes. This is why I think mm-hmm. that they cut too fast in here for you to see what's it's in there. Not all. If you were to, if you were to look at individually at the scenes, they do add scenes that add information to the story, but it's mostly cut to the beat of the music, so it goes by too fast for you to see. And by the way, Voices of a Different Star also ends on a song, which I think works really well there. Yeah, yeah it's it a has good this, song. It, yeah, yeah. It works yeah. well there. It does not work well here. It seems jarring and out of uh, completely out of the context of the film. It, it, it has the same problem in both places in that the, the cutting and the action happens so fast to keep pace with the song that on first viewing, it's very difficult to even tell what the heck is going on. And this one, I, I, there's not much going on on. I don't mind the song here. I like the fact that it, it, that it uh, I mean, that I feel like the entire movie up to this part was slow and they built to this, but I feel like the ramp onto the song was too abrupt. Um, and especially if you can't understand the lyrics, which we can't, and you have to read song subtitle lyrics while they flash, flash a million scenes in front of you. Um, it was a difficult way to to bring this to a head. But again, I felt like they were they were on the third story. They were near the end. They had to get to the conclusion that they wanted to get to. And I'm I'm a sucker for music videos. I like when they do musical montages in almost anything, even if I can't understand what the song is. So even though I think they did it better in Voices of Edition Star, I don't mind it that much in this. I just feel like it's it it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't flow smoothly from the movie into the song. It feels like there was the movie and then there comes a point and then this thing was pasted into the end and they missed some section yeah. in the middle. Yeah. See, I didn't have any problem with that. I think because I also <laughs> like the musical montage thing in general and see that enough in anime that I, I don't mind it. So I, I didn't feel like that was jarring at all. I just hated this song yeah. with a fiery passion. <laughs> So if it had been a different song, a better song, I think I would have forgiven a lot and probably would have would have quite enjoyed it because I I do agree that it was a little bit on the fast side, but I was I was still following it okay and, and you know I was slightly confused about what happened, but was able to kind of piece it together and figure it out. I just could not stand 
the the sound of the guy's voice yep. and it wasn't it was not like a smooth melodic sweeping song i think it was supposed to be emotional and it was just it just did not work on any level but then when it ended the actual music that was over the closing credits was beautiful and i was like oh okay you've won me over again yeah it really was it reminded me of a butt light commercial <laughs> <laughs> so, and it's a shame because this movie is so beautiful however i did like the last two shots of the montage where it settles down a little bit before it hits the credits and the pretty song over the credits, which is we see the two birds again. Mm-hmm. Huh? And we see that scene again at the railroad track that we saw that is a replay of the first scene and also the first scene of this where they kind of brush against each other um, and look back from across the train tracks. And just as about there as they're about to turn and lock eyes, the train goes by and it goes by for a very long time. Yeah. That's one of my favorite bits. But oh. I feel like if the music by that point has won me over because the music is still kind of going. It's just instrumental at that point, and the trains are going by, and and the trains are going, and they're going, and they're growing, and then when you think the trains are going to end, actually the train in the opposite direction starts yep. coming, yeah. and it's going, and it's going, and it's going, yeah. and it's like, and it's internally like I can't, I make for the trains. You know, I mean, they, some trains do take a long time to yeah. go by. Um, so I was, trains. I was totally bought in by that point, even though the song starts abruptly and and cuts very fast yeah and also by the way the melody of this song is weaved throughout this entire movie like it's sort of you know a a motif going through it musically like it's it's like i think there are sturdy bones in there the guy's voice is very jarring i i will give you that but anyway i think i like the song better than you guys did and (laughs) i'm sure you did and 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 that but and like i said by the time those trains start flying by and things are fading down i'm I'm on board again yeah and it's i i I think it's a beautiful bittersweet kind of ending because of course the trains finally do part and he's still looking and she is gone and he and the 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 um the arms come up on the on the guards and you see, and he's looking he's facing toward where she was and you see him turn around to go back the other direction and walk away and that's the end and it, it's a very nice moment sad but and nice. he's got a little mm-hmm. smile on his face as he turns like yep. that he is yep. like but i mean so this ending is also ambiguous but i think what they're leading you towards is that he's kind of figured out the same thing that the surfer figured out surfer girl figured out and that like all right i see how this is um you know because he, he finally had his like moment of contact or whether he imagined it or not whether it was actually her or not or whatever that he, he, I mean, it took him however many years, and this, but this mm-hmm. is, you know, sometimes it takes people a long time to get over this. Um, uh, he's come around and realized he doesn't know that she's been on. He doesn't know she's engaged to be married. I like that they avoided all that drama. <gasps> she's going to be married, and who is she? Like, nope, nope, nope. She's not. You're never going to speak to her again. You're probably never going to see her again. Whether you saw her on those train tracks or not, it doesn't matter. Uh, and so that, I feel like he's saying to himself, was she even there? Does it even matter? And so he's got the little tiny smile and the whole showing his footsteps, turning away and walking on is that he's finally mm-hmm. moving on with his life. And you, you, it, the, the train going in between them is almost like just the physical severing of that tie between the two of them. And I think that's that's when he gets it. And, you know, it's, it's symbolic. And he it for a guy who's been in his head so deeply for all these years, he really needs something that's that kind of hit you over the head symbolic. Run over the wires in one direction and also run them over <laughs> in the other direction. Or they cut yeah, keep going, keep going. Ah, let it out. And, and the parallel story, the parallel reminiscing of them both remembering that same time um i thought that was nice because she's remembering it the way you remember you find an old letter from like middle school and you look at it like we're not 
so many of these movies or so many of these things you would find it was like but her husband is terrible right but she's not really happy right no her husband's probably very nice and or her soon-to-be husband and she's very happy and right. there's nothing wrong in her life like it's not it's not she's not going to go back to him but like and so she's reminiscing fondly and oh look at this thing i found a smile and he's reminiscing not bitterly but still like longingly and they're both telling the same story but it's two very different views on the same thing and it takes our uh, train tracks running over the giant uh, emotional umbilical cord that's connecting him to his past at the end of the movie to disconnect him. And again, like Voices of the Star, I think this movie, whether it's realistic or not, that it, are emotionally healthy to hold on to something that long, it's getting in touch with the idea that when you have, the, when when you're in the midst of those relationships, they it 100% seems like when I'm 40, I will still be crying about this. Right. Like, it doesn't matter how old I get. I will never forget you. I will love you forever. This is this is it, uh, because that's how it feels. And so these stories can't if they realistically play that out, it becomes pathetic for adults to be like that. But they stretch they stretch reality a little bit because they're trying to say, look, kids, we understand you. And you, you've you've been in this situation and it seems like it's never going to end, but it really will. But I know when you're in it, it feels like it won't. So all the characters are like. You know, like at the end of all the stories, like I will never forget. This is the most important thing in my life. Nothing will ever change, uh, but it gets better. And then you have the beautiful, beautiful song over the closing credits, which actually mm-hmm. reminded me very much of a song called Recessional by Vienna Tang, which then I, I hadn't listened to it for a while. So I listened to it and realized that the lyrics of that song are actually kind of eerily similar to the themes of these movies. I mean, down to like mentioning fluorescent uh, light bulbs in like a, a train station or an airport or something and, you know, specific moments with somebody being so pure. I was just like, whoa, it's kind of creepy. So, John, uh, what was really interesting to me about this one is that, uh, again, so much other than the Miyazaki, so much of the anime that I've seen has been in, you know, science fiction kind of terms, including Voices of a Distant Star. And then we get to five centimeters per second, and it's this other kind. And I was really happy that there were no aliens and only one spaceship and only seen at a distance <laughs> and on train tracks. Um, and I uh, and I thought it was beautiful. And like I said, I, I thought the detail work... Um, while very different from some of the beautiful stuff that I see in, say, Miyazaki movies, was, um, you know, it also had things in common with that in, 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 in taking the time to show these objects and lingering on them. Uh, and so, yeah, I thought this, I thought five centimeters per second was, uh, was kind of great. I, re- I really thought it was. Yeah, I did too. One of the reasons I left out uh, Place Promise in our early days, which is the third attempt to tell to touch on these same themes, let's say, not not make the same movie, um, is that I feel like that is the most conventional. Um, I recommend watching it, but I feel like you've got the best, like because you got the raw, first, weird, little Voices of a Distant Star, and you have this, which is the, the later one, which I think is uh, a more mature and sophisticated retelling of the same thing. Uh, and Place Promise has much more of the trappings of a traditional movie, period. Like, there's actual sort of, there's sort of actually a plot. There's a unexplained weird anime thing that goes on with aliens or maybe not aliens or whatever that's not important and not explained. But there are, you know, flying crafts and there are relationships and there's, like, dialogue and people that do things and have feelings. Much more so, like, you could m- probably make that into a Hollywood movie in some reasonable way that touches on all sorts of the same f- themes. And I feel like that other stuff in, in a place promise in our early days gets in the way. Like it is not, it's not like sort of like voices of a distant star, two things smushed together in a pleasing way. That's just a crazy mashup. 
and it's not five centimeters per second where they cut out everything except for the heart that they're trying to tell. That is sort of like an uncomfortable mix. But if you watch all three of those things, I think at that point you start to get a feel for Makoto Shinkai, and I think he is a hopeless romantic mm. <laughs> because it would take <laughs> to make to make three movies like that, and 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 it was kind of you know coming at the same thing from different angles and having like sort of different resolutions at the end, but just. You know, the, what attracts me to this and, and Satoshi Kono and Miyazaki, for that matter, is like not so much the stories they tell, because it can be about whatever you want it to be about, uh, but the way they tell them. Um, and it it, it, it it speaks a truth to me that you don't see in most conventional movies, because, again, I think animation can get away with really weird stuff like this. When you make a live action movie that has lingering shots of like a telephone wire bisecting a moon, people think, oh, that's one of those arty movies. That's, you know, whatever. But with these movies somehow somehow it gets a pass and 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 i and i do like the space stuff you said there's only one rocket ship in this thing i think it's important that to have i think it's important to have heavy space machinery moving through these people's lives and uh and firing off at pivotal moments yeah and constant looking up at the stars all of which are green and purple like you're looking through a, a, like a, a hubble telescope on acid and yeah. all the dream sequences have giant looming planets that somehow that not just hyper real that's like that's exactly what it's like to be this age there is a giant looming planet and purple stars and a rocket ship that fires off behind you. Not really, but there might as well be. Verdicts on this uh, now that you've seen it all? Um, I, two enthusiastic thumbs up as long as I completely forget about that last song, which is quite a blemish. <laughs> but It will grow on you. You'll see, like a fungus. I had managed to uh, I had managed to forget about it until we started talking about it. All my memories were were very happy. Um, so I'm sure ten minutes after we stop recording, I'm going to forget it again, and I'm going to just continue to just love five centimeters per second. And I also I, I quite liked uh, Voices of a Dis- Distant Star, mm. but not yeah. not to the same degree. Pretty much the same, especially. I- I'm anxious to watch five. Uh, I'm anxious to watch five centimeters a second again, just to watch it because it's just stunning. the mm-hmm. The artwork is just absolutely beautiful, and I found myself um, having to go back and like pause it and go back and read the subtitles. One because they pass kind of quickly, but secondly, I was just watching things and not paying attention to what was being said because it was just it was it was gorgeous. So I really I enjoyed both. All right, John, how do we do? Do we pass? Pretty well, I think. Like, uh, and, and I don't know if I, whenever I think about the things that we watch, I'm like, are we watching too many things that are the same? It's like, are, are we doing the equivalent of playing game after game is exactly like Journey? Because it's kind of like the type of things that I like. But I feel like we're getting a reasonable spread here, even if we're mostly avoiding, like, the actual right up the middle traditional, like, you know, not watching, like, Full Metal Panic or something, right? Which is, like, conventional in all the, the conventional ways. Although I'm not totally saying that's out of the question in the future but this is the kind of movies that i like uh these are the kind of directors that i like all these movies i've seen so many times and and, and uh, like Elaine was saying i do the opposite where i find that i have to read the subtitles in the first few viewings and then in the the subsequent many many viewings when i know everything everyone is going to say i just spend the whole time looking at the frames and watching the movie like trying to watch the movie as if i understand what they're saying but only because i've memorized all the lines at that point and that's um these are some of the movies that I really, I really just want to look at the whole screen over and over again, which is why I get frustrated when the scenes uh, flash by so quickly. But uh, now these are, these are some of my, some of my favorite, uh, favorite non Miyazaki, non Satoshi Kon animated movies. <laughs> Lots of qualifiers on that. Um, but this is this is the kind of movie I like. Um, 
and maybe if you are lucky or unlucky, you will find out some of the even weirder kinds of animated movies I like. But that's for another time. All right. Ooh. Hashtag teaser. That would be Anime 104, perhaps, which, you know, we'll uh, continue to uh, go down this path as long as Professor Syracuse will have us as students, I think. All right. Well, that's it. Class is adjourned. I'd like to thank uh, my fellow students. Aline Sims, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. And Eric Ensign, thank you very much. Thank you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go have a dairy coffee. Ah, uh, that's very nice. Very nice. I'm going to eat a rice puffball. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Professor John Syracuse, for picking these uh, films and talking to us about them. You know, the speed of this audio through the Skype channel is five megabits per second. <gasps> <laughs> is that oh. a cherry blossom I see falling? Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening to this edition of The Incomparable. Everybody, we'll see you next week. Bye.